Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SSD on Apple Podcast app, Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, appreciate you the same. We got the designated hitters up in here. Talk smack to Alec last week for not being here. Were the Yankees still, like, down and out last week? I feel like there's so much, I mean, granted, there's more nuance than just saying they're back because of the the offensive struggles. But, Alec, uh, you are back. Alec Argento, what's up? Uh, what, uh, last week when we recorded, were the Yankees being doing good or bad? I, I kind of forget. Yeah, Yankees have been doing well since uh, right before the All-Star break. And now they can't so, like, hit for the past, like, two days? What's going on? Yeah, but they can pitch, so it doesn't okay. really matter. All right, count it. I just, like, forgot. That's my case. It's been such a, like, a ridiculously bad week for the Mets and a mostly really good week for the Yankees, and it just feels like it's been the longest week ever. So, I don't know. I was just confused for a second. Andrew Kalanya is also here drew what's going on yeah what's going on ready to talk about the uh the the hot button sports topics and uh the topics that are really on the the mind of the nation will katie find love on the season finale of the bachelorette tonight or will she say or will she uh greg leaving last week was is will her heart be forever broken who's to know i'm really excited to find out i gotta say i'm a big bachelor bachelorette guy I missed this season entirely. I'm out on Katie. Never liked her from 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 uh, from last season. Oh wow! With, uh, yeah, with uh, what's his name? I'm blanking. Matt James, the Matchler. Mm. Mm. The Matchler. Wow. How about that? I have no. I actually, I think I did see Matt's picture. I wouldn't be able to pick the current one out of a crowd. I've never invested. I I probably know myself well enough that if I watched like a full episode, I would probably just be like dragged in. I feel like that's what happens to a lot of people. It's like, mm-hmm. oh no, I'm not gonna watch. And then your, you know, your girlfriend or wife is like, oh, just sit down and watch this one with me. And then halfway through the episode, you're like, damn, that fucking Jennifer is such a bitch. I hate her. Whatever. I don't know what happens, but then like, everyone is just all in instantly. I just feel like the, I feel like the yeah. I did, I also feel like the Bachelor is just so much better than the Bachelor because like the dudes are all like kind of cordial to each other on the Bachelorette, and everyone's just like. And it's like, hey, bro, yo, did you talk to her? That's great, man. That's awesome. And then it's like the. The girls are just like just talking shit to each other like the whole time and just like catty, catty drama. So I, I just feel like The Bachelor is just a, just a, a league of its own above The Bachelorette. Alex. He got Bachelor in Paradise, which is a Ooh. whole different piece. Whole mm. different ball game. And then there's like there's like 400 different ones on Netflix and HBO and every other CBS All Access or whatever the hell that is nowadays. It's just ridiculous. I can't keep up. I choose not Paramount, to. Paramount Plus, my friend. I, Paramount there, Plus. there you go. Oh, yeah, Ching. company man, company man. Cha-ching. <laughs> that used to be me. I used to be a company man that had uh, thoughts about those things. Now I'm not. It's a different world. Um, my question, not my question, my statement, though, on that is I ch- uh, choose to spend my time in a much dumber way, perhaps, like what things like watching Summer League. <laughs> That's what I do. I've watched both Nick's Summer League games. I've watched probably seven other non-Nick Summer League games this this year already, and that's only been two days. And uh, is that okay? Is that acceptable behavior, Alec? 
I mean, you're not the only one. You're the, I'm the only one to put a hundred dollars on the next one in the summer league. So <laughs> how you feeling about that bet right now? I, to be honest with you, I don't really know. I, I forget how, how you win the summer league, if it's best record or there's like a tournament at the end or something like that. So I, barring, you know, if there is a, a tournament at the end, I feel really good. If, if it's about best record, that, that, that first loss could really bite us in the ass. There is a tournament at the end. Okay, we're good then. We're, we're, we're good. We're I good. I figured it out, and Obi has been unstoppable. Then you get my guy Jericho Sims, oh. field of the draft. What was he number fifty six or fifty seven? I forget. It was way. Right. It was fifty six, right? It was either way. It was way at the end of the second round, uh, to the point where like I kind of knew who he was just because he's uh, this Texas big guy. So real quick, by the way, before I get into that, we're talking baseball in a minute. Mets, Yankees, obviously, we're here with the designators. That's what we do. But we are going to spend five minutes here on the Knicks and Kemba Walker and Summer League. So Jericho Sims, you know, the Knicks had this ridiculous draft night where they had 19 and 21. They traded down. They traded down again. They picked 25. They had 32. From 32, they went to 34 and 36. And they also had 56 the entire time. So, like, Jericho Sims was this complete afterthought. When you pick that late in a draft, you're never going to put any sort of real expectation on that pick. But I did know who Jericho Sims was because he's been on Texas for a little bit now. He actually played with Mo Bamba. Yeah, he played with Mo Bamba. By the way, the announcers on ESPN have loved Jericho Sims. Have you noticed the love fest they're putting on for this guy every single I mean, game how so far? I mean, not? That guy caught a body yesterday. He did in the first game. He made the biggest splash probably from a highlight standpoint uh, in Summer League so far. You could obviously argue and without much pushback that, you know, guys like Jalen Green you know, had better debuts. Of course, they had better debuts. They're way better players. But Jericho Sims made a huge splash. Even LiAngelo Ball making some splashes uh, for the Charlotte Summer League team. But this guy, Jericho Sims, is incredibly bouncy. I'm afraid he doesn't always know where to be on the floor, especially defensively. You can already tell he's like, if he's in the right spot, he's so dangerous as a defender. But if he isn't, which is more often than not, then you're just like, damn, we have no one to rebound. Where is this guy? So there's obvious reasons why he was the 56th pick. But you just watch the guy run the floor. You watch the guy jump for a rebound. And you watch him sky up for rim runs and alley-oops. There is a very reasonable chance, Alec, I would say, that he becomes a sustainable backup center in this league. And there is the off chance, because we have to be realistic enough here with the 56th pick, there's an off chance he becomes more than a backup center if he really focuses on learning the game, learning whatever systems he's a part of and whatnot. And playing behind Mitch and Nerlens is going to be good for him in that regard. Nerlens Noel proved how important defensive positioning is last year with the, the job he did. So, out with your realistic and unrealistic expectations hat, how are you feeling about Jericho Sims? Do you actually see him like getting minutes on this team? Or for an hour, are you just putting all your eggs in his corner? Like you're going to die in his hill, but you don't really expect much. I mean... Yes to both? He, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of athleticism, he's incredible. I mean, the guy can jump out, out, of, out, of, the, out of his shoes on the court every day, uh, and, and that's cool. He's very much like Mitch, right? Uh, incredibly raw, incredibly athletic. You can see him being an awesome, uh, you know, destination for an assist for, for an alley-oop and, and, and stuff like that. And It's good to see the young guys getting connections with him. I think he's going to spend time in the G League, but I also think it's it's incredibly likely 
that Mitch and or Nolan, uh, uh, Noel are uh, out for extended periods of time, right? So I also think that if they find something in Sims, and I don't know that he's going to be a starter anytime soon or anything like that. I still think he's going to spend a good amount of time with the G League, right? He's on track, but I think that the, as much as it pains me to say this, and I was telling PD in the group chat the other day, Knicks are probably going to move on from, from Mitch this season. Uh, I think it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, you, there's, you don't want to spend that kind of money on a center. Uh, even if they're the top flight one, like Rudy Gobert, people are still going to question that decision if you do that. Um, so I think that the Knicks are going to try to put second rounders into centers and hopefully one of them pans out and they're going to replace them. And then you have Noel as a starting center for pretty reasonable money. Um, but there's no way that they're going to pay two centers good money uh, for this roster. So I like Sims. I think he could be good. I don't think he's there yet. Like PD said, he doesn't really always know where he is on the, on the court, but sometimes he does. And I actually mentioned that to you in the text. Like sometimes he, he, he gets his like, you know, he's not always focused about his man on his man. He, he plays pretty good team defense. He's just got to get used to the feel for the game. But um, I like him. Uh, and I, I think every Knicks fan out there knows that we need a fringe player that probably is borderline, even NBA material that I'm going to convince <laughs> myself needs to be a starter since now that we lost Frank and I'm, I'm going to die on that hill. Um, so I'm in on, on Jason. And we haven't seen enough Rokas Jokobitis yet for him to become that fringe player, you know, so so well, it has to be perfect for that. We need him in August because Minskin's pet guy again. So yeah, uh, Rokas would be perfect. Yeah, shout out to Kuz Mindaugas. We miss you. Come come back one day and visit if you want. Come on the podcast. <laughs> oh, shit. and Vildoza doesn't have that it factor either. Did you guys hear that? Dog. Yeah, you heard dog. Okay, just making sure. Sometimes I'm like, oh guys, sorry about the dog, and then I listen back and no one heard it. But that one was definitely loud. Okay. Anyways, um, Jericho Sims. I agree, Alec, on the front where there's a real chance for him to become an actual player. There's also a chance that these highlights are just highlights and it's against the Summer League and this never actually works in the NBA. So on the Mitch front, because you said something interesting there, uh, I, I don't... I actually very much so agree with your mindset. I do. The only thing I would push back on is there's two reasons why it could work out in Mitch staying in New York. One is... Because of the injury history, there's a chance you can get him on a slightly lower deal than perhaps he would get if he just played, you know, 68 games last year and has played 80 games before in a season and doesn't get into foul trouble and whatnot. So that can help you a little bit. And then second is Nerlens Noel's contract came out to be a three-year deal where the third year is a team option. So when Mitch becomes a free agent after this season coming up, there is flexibility there. And there is only one year of overlap with Noel, which basically just allows them to make that decision at the end of the season, right? So if Mitch has this incredible season, obviously that'll jack up the price, but you know you have that flexibility to maybe spend more on him than you wanted to because you have those uh, two-year deals with the third year being a team option for him, uh, for Noel, for Burke, and for Derrick Rose. Or is Derrick Rose not... Team, I think he has a team option too. So they're all team options. Right, and Fournier is three <clears> with the four. So there's options there is my point. But if Jericho Sims proves to be a legitimate backup center, then it's going to suck for us to say goodbye to Mitch, but we are making this the smart, wise decision of finding this backup center position for super cheap. I mean, we saw the Golden State Warriors a few years back run out Jordan Bell at their starting five, their starting four, in Western Conference Finals games. 
Now, granted, they had hella stars on that team, but Jordan Bell is playing on the Hawks Summer League team this year, right? So he's not anybody to write home about as far as his NBA ability. So if you can find competent big man play in the second round for the Chiefs, woohoo! you got to do it and you got to bite the bullet and say goodbye to Mitch if that is where this season leads us. Well, I, I also think that, that Mitch is kind of a schemer uh, and kind of always has been. I mean, the whole not playing is, you know, what was it, Western Tennessee he was supposed to play or something like that for Middle first, Tennessee, uh, yeah. Western, Western Kentucky? Yeah, something like uh, that. Maybe it was like, Western for, Kentucky, for, yeah. For, for freshman year of college and then sitting out for the draft thinking he was going to, it was going to up his stock when it really downed his stock. He's fired his agents six times or something like that. I don't know. I love Mitch. I think Mitch likes being on the Knicks, but I also could totally see Mitch being the kind of guy who says, Hey, if, if there's a bag to get, I'm going to go get it. Right. And I don't think that there, there's definitely a couple teams out there that would throw Mitch a stupid contract, regardless of how this season goes, barring him like tearing an ACL or something like that and being out for the season. But Mitch has a, enough highlight film stuff to, out there and, and has put up enough production for a team to throw a pretty stupid contract at, on Adam. I could see him getting 18 to $25 million a year from some stupid team next year. But possible. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, you look at the market uh, like Clint Capella got, you know, He's probably not even at that level, but you never know. There are dumb teams out there. So you're right. But let's, I want to move on off that because a few more quick, quick, sure. quick things on the Knicks there before we say goodbye to the Knicks and move on to baseball here. Um, quick thoughts, quick and Grimes and Miles McBride. Just give me give me your quick takes, and I'll add mine in a second. Uh, one thing I like about McBride is what I was reading about on, on uh, stuff after a draft night, and if you notice this, he's really good at following the ball after a shot, and he gets his own rebounds a lot. And that's something that I, I think is – if he keeps that up, that could be really advantageous for the Knicks because we weren't – I feel like – I don't have the numbers, but I feel like we kind of lagged off on offensive rebounds a good amount. Um, so that could be super beneficial. But he hasn't looked super comfortable. He's had a couple of threes here and there. Uh, Deuce McBride looks awesome uh, for, for what he's going to be. Uh, they're both, like, annoying defenders, which is, you know, that's going to fit the, the Tibbs profile. And they're both good – they both have good jump shots too. Um Problem again is that we don't have anybody who can kind of penetrate into the paint outside of Kemba and Derrick Rose, who very well could both not play for extended periods of time, and then we're going to have the same issue that we had last year. But uh, for what they are and what you get at the value for, you know, for, what were they, the 26th and 35th pick or something like that? Yeah, 25, I mean, 36. They look awesome. Yeah, they, I think you said McBride awesome. on, on Grimes in the beginning. So you were talking about Grimes with the follows and whatnot. So yeah, uh, yeah. No, all good. Just wanted to make sure we're clear on that. I think Miles McBride's touch in the mid-range looks like super legit. Like one of those guys who you'd actually be happy with taking mid-rangers. Uh, his three ball looks good. Grimes three ball looks good too, even though it's not falling super consistently right now. I want to see McBride finish better around the rim, but those two guys are ready to grind. It really seems like they are the type of people who Tom Thibodeau's wants in that room, who wants fighting for minutes in the rotation. And you know what? When you're talking about Kemba Walker, which we're going to talk about right now, if he is banged up, you're probably not going to get what Kemba can do offensively off of a rookie off the bench or out of a rookie off the bench, right? So what do you want from your rookie off the bench? An absolute grinder on defense, somebody who's going to come in, make the right pass, not overshoot, not over dribble, just kind of keep things moving, make his plays and, and hit open jump shots. And that's what I do think Miles McBride can do in a world where we wished Frank Nilakina could become a man who we're not expecting to score 22 points. We thought he could, you know, hit open jump shot, which he proved he could do last year. 
but he couldn't really do any of the other stuff. McBride looks like he can do some little pick and roll work, some little penetration and kick work, and he can hit that mid-ranger, uh, and he really does grind on defense with that wingspan. So I really like what we got out of him, and I'll say it again, even though I said it last week, I would have taken Miles McBride at pick 19. I really would have, and they got him at 36. Love that value. Um, anything to add there before we talk about Kemba for a second? I got a question for you before we go to Kemba. Just yeah, yeah. one more uh, summer league question. How are you liking quickly being the guy, being the point guard uh, on the team right now? I, I don't love it. Because you have two honestly. sides of it. Yeah, you I don't. Yesterday's game and today's game. Right, and he was awesome in today's game. He, he friggin' took over. He scored over 30 points, and, and he's going to do that. It's not the type of domination that makes me say, wow, he is ready to do that on the next level. I always think back to the first time I saw Donovan Mitchell play in summer league, and I said, whoa. This guy is jumping off the screen. He is faster. He is quicker. He has hops. He can get into the lane. He can shoot a step back. Like, he just is doing it all as a rookie in summer league. Like, you can just tell sometimes with rookies or second-year guys where it's like, oh, they're on a different freaking level. Quickly's on a different level, but it's not a extreme next level to these summer league guys, whereas some of these jump shots he's getting off, we saw him get off last year. That's fine. He's going to be able to do that. But he's still not getting into the lane incredibly easily. He's not making awesomely swift moves off the dribble uh, to get to more shots than just the floater. You know, he's getting a little bit more consistency getting to the line and getting closer to the rim, which I like, but I'm not sure that that's going to just translate into the regular NBA season and he's all of a sudden going to be, you know, this around-the-rim scorer. He's still going to rely on the floater and the jump shot, which is useful and we like it and we saw it work last year. I just don't think we should, as Knicks fans, turn this IQ tirade against uh, rookies and guys fighting for their NBA careers into the fact that he's going to become uh, a stud playmaker in a couple months. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think, I, I mean, doesn't seem to have worked on his layup skills whatsoever. He so just doesn't far. get close enough. Like he, he's like afraid to take layups with big guys around there's the been rim. A, there's been a couple opportunities where he's had to take a layup and he just did. He, he took some floaters really close to the rim, which doesn't, you don't like to see that. Um, I do want to say he did have eight assists today in a summer league game. Which That's I looking like better. In a summer league game, eight assists in a summer league game compared to a regular season game where you actually have weapons, uh, you know, outside of Obi. Um, is going to, you know, that's like the equivalent of like 15 assists in my opinion. Uh, but Shorter quarters. Too. Uh, yeah. What would you say? Shorter quarters as well. Less time. Yeah, exactly. So, I, so lo- I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. Continue. No, I was just saying, I love that he's caring about working on other stuff of his game, but he also has like the ultimate green light right now. That's not exactly what I wanted to see. Like I didn't want to see quickly try and score 30 in the summer league. I wanted him to try to get 15 assists. That's what I'd rather watch and rather watch yeah. him fail trying to get to the rim a little more rather than just jacking up I just up think they need, to groom, they need to groom a backup point guard, and they're trying every, every direction to do it. It's a great idea. Well, great idea for them. They're giving him a shot. I love it. Yeah. All right. Go to Kemba. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> oh, Andrew, what's up, man? <laughs> hey. I'm taking a nap. All right, Andrew, do you have any takes on Kemba Walker coming to New York? I think it's a, a really a, a low-risk, high-reward move. I mean, they're not paying him anything. Uh, if he can uh, stay healthy and recapture some of the the magic from the last couple of years, I think, um, you know, he wants to be here. He chose the Knicks. So uh, there's re- very little downside to the move. That's it. Now we can move on to baseball. That's perfect. What else can you say? <laughs> no, seriously, though, that really is it. I know it's not uh, an incredibly hard take to get to, 
I know, Al, you told me I was being a little harsh in my uh, TikTok slash Instagram reel that I posted about the contract, but I completely agree with Andrew. There's a, there's a, it's a no-brainer. There's no reason not to do this $8 million move to bring in Kemba Walker. But in my opinion, there is reason to temper expectations and not expect 22 points a game out of this guy. You know, he's never averaged more than six assists in a game in his career. And, you know, with his knees and his age getting up there and Julius Randle still being probably the most intense focal point on this offense, maybe followed by Fournier. We don't really know what it's going to look like. We don't know what his knees are going to look like. I just don't want people from New York who love Kemba, who adore everything he's ever done, who pull for him throughout his whole career from UConn throughout to just come in here and say, we got Kemba. It's going to be sick. This guy's an all-star. Like he is not an all-star right now. And that's all I want to make clear and sure, uh, but, push back but, on me. But he did play like an all-star when he was healthy. Two uh, years ago. There was a good pe- nah, He played well for the Celtics last year. No, nah, he was not good last year. He averaged 17 points, but like he couldn't stop a soul. He had really bad shooting numbers, like stretches. Sure, but, but, but played 40 games. The, okay, I understand that. I understand that Kemba's not a good uh, defender, man-to-man defender. Nobody on the Knicks is a good man-to-man defender. Name one person was on the, on one of the defensive teams this year. That's not how we operate. We're a team defensive team. So uh, I'm not too worried about the defense. I think that, that the lot's being made out of nothing on that one. Um, and first of all, I mean, there's every time Kemba's ever played in the Garden, I, I've watched a lot of Hornets games against the Knicks. He shows up when he does that. He's going to be jazzed to be here. He's not going to be playing back-to-backs, and he's not going to be playing 40 minutes like like he played in Boston over there. I mean, that's there's going to be load management to him. As much as Tim probably doesn't like it, that's absolutely going to be the case. Um, and, you know, we don't need him to be a guy who plays 40 minutes every game. All of a sudden, we have a very deep point guard depth. <laughs> we have very good depth across the board right now. We have probably, arguably, a top-five bench unit you can make the argument that, that it's the best bench unit in, uh, in, in basketball right now in terms of like depth. So minutes are going to be doled out this year a lot differently than they were last year. Last year was to create an identity. Now that you have that identity, now that you have people coming here and wanting to play here, it's just going to be totally different. Um, and let's not forget that RJ has developed significantly since we first got him here too. So you have Randall. Maybe it's maybe it's Fournier below him. Maybe it's it's uh, RJ above Fournier. I could totally see that happening. Year three, he's gotten makes another jump. RJ could be an all star this year if he makes another jump. He was awesome last year compared to where he was first year, and and you just expect him to get a little better and better each year. He's was he twenty years old still? He's not even twenty one. Can't even buy a drink yet. So I think the team makeup is going to be a lot different. You also have a year of chemistry built up. Uh, with bringing all these guys back. And I think that's really important to have continuity on this, in this org, which we haven't had in forever. So um, I don't think it's going to be the same exact strategy that was last year. I think you can hide Kemba, burn Kemba. Um, and also he's going to have, you know, you don't know how, what his injury history looks like. I mean, I mean, what, what it's going to look like this year. It, he could be relatively healthy. And most stars in the game, are out for 20 plus game uh, games a year at this point. I mean, Kawhi, KD, all like, you know, injuries are part of being a star at this moment. You can clearly weather the storm if you have that kind of culture around it. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm not saying he's going to be a 30 point a game player. Uh, I could totally see him playing, uh, getting 22 points a game, but I could, uh, but with 
reduced minutes uh, and uh, reduced like games played. So yeah, it's it, I mean, I, I would kind of uh, liken it to when the Yankees got Carlos Beltran, um, you know, guy who was kind of towards wasn't certainly the player that he was, um, you know, earlier in his career, but he could still be uh, bring that leadership presence and, um, you know, contribute where he can. And, uh, you know, guy that just wants to be here because he loves New York and he loves playing yep. in the garden. So again, I, I, I don't see downside here, uh, you know, for the Kimba signing. And, and even to add to that, just one more thing. What's a better case of somebody who has a very bad injury history who has excelled under Tom Thibodeau, Derek Rose, yeah. Derek Rose. Everyone said, Oh, he'll never be the player that he used to be. He, he, he hurt for the rest of his career. He was healthy outside of COVID last year for the entire season. Um, and balled out for us, played dumb minutes for us compared to what he should be playing. Yeah, way He was too fine. Many. And it's all about what you say. Way too many minutes in the playoffs. <laughs> sure. But, but I'm, I'm just saying like, you don't know what year to year is going to look like. Granted, it very well could pop up again. It's very likely that it happens, but he might be over it. You know, you never know. So I'm just saying it's fair to be excited about Kemba because you didn't just spend $40 million on Kemba. You spent the $35 million a year that the Celtics did and traded him away to the OKC, who then bought him out because they didn't want to play him. So, I mean, things could be a lot worse with the Kemba sign. One million percent. If this was the old Knicks, we were trading for Kemba Walker and giving up a pick when the Celtics would have given up a pick to get rid of him. That's the old Knicks. So that's why like, this is a 10 out of 10, no brainer, all that jazz. I am with all that. And I really do. When you think about it, I do like the idea of him being a third or fourth man on this offense. He'll be the steadier as far as the guy who can bring the ball up a little bit more, but even still, he won't have to do it all the time. He can clearly still shoot the ball. He shot eight threes a game last year, 36%. So those are all huge positives. I just don't want people to expect two years ago or three years ago, Kemba, Charlotte Kemba, because it didn't seem like that guy existed last year when I watched the Celtics. That's all I wanted to make clear. Sure, Otherwise, but, but you're right. Another thing to mention too, I just want to mention, the Celtics sucked as a team last year. It wasn't just Because Kemba, he was bad. <laughs> it's big, it it's a big part. When he wasn't it was a big play, part. When he wasn't play, that's not, that's, you know that's not necessarily true. I mean, when he didn't play, they still sucked if, if they put somebody else into him. If he's that right. bad that he's so, so much of a detriment, if you put somebody else in there they should, that's at least average, they should be excelling significantly. They weren't. They weren't coached well last year. They, they had a pretty crappy team in terms of, not in terms of talent, but in terms of like buy-in from the players. You have Tatum, yeah. Tatum and Brown playing the same exact position, doing the same exact things, going for the same exact stats. Uh, and that was just a funky team. And, Evan Fournier was on that team too, and I actually I was trying to do some research. I don't I couldn't find it, but what the uh, on off numbers look like for uh, Fournier and, and Kemba together because I wonder if they're good or not. Yeah, you got to throw it out. Doesn't, Bacon. doesn't even matter because of Evan Fournier had COVID as soon as he got there. Kemba was True. in and out of the lineup. I just you can't even look at Fournier Celtics numbers. They're just a train wreck because that whole season, like you said, was a train wreck. So let's. Let's move on from the Knicks because that was, Sorry, that was I'm passionate. I know, me too. I, we could obviously we could keep going, but we we don't want to uh, do forty minutes on the Knicks right now. Um, there's reason to be excited though, for sure. But there's reason to be reasonably excited, in my opinion. Where other teams around the East may have more healthy seasons than they did last year, they may have gotten a little better in this off season, and the Knicks got a little better in this off season too, one hundred percent with Fournier and Kemba returning the guys that they returned, plus some hopefully rookie help, RJ increase, all that stuff is going to make the Knicks better. 
but there's other teams that are getting healthier and better as well. You just got to be mindful of that. It's not like the Knicks are going to go in as the the third favorite to win the Eastern Conference. It's not going to be how it is. So good stuff there. We'll obviously talk Knicks maybe a little more in a week or two. Probably not, but definitely in a month or two because sneaky, sneaky, it's going to be October. By the time we blink, we'll be in weeks eight of football season and basketball will start again. But right now, it's the thick of things in the MLB regular season. Talking playoff races, it's getting very real. It's getting spicy it's getting sad in certain parts of New York as well. So since we just talked a lot of Knicks, and that went to my heart right there, let's throw this to the Yankees and not go into a huge negative sad spiral to talk about the Mets. Let Andrew Kalanya get real involved in the podcast right now. Andrew, thanks for being a trooper through all that summer league Knicks talk right there. And now we can talk about the Yankees. So it's been mostly good since we last spoke. There's been a lot of positivity around this team in which we spoke about post-trade deadline, about what can come with this lineup. Are you pleased? Is there any buyer's remorse with the trade deadline? Um, And what are the new prospects on the final month or so of this season? Well, the uh, Yankees went uh, initially uh, 7-1 and one before yesterday's loss with Rizzo and Gallo in the lineup. So exa- they did exactly what... You hoped and expected them to do. They brought energy to the lineup. They brought balance to the lineup. They hit home runs. They played great defense. They were uh, they captured the hearts of uh, of the of the fan base, and it was everything that you wanted. And then the injury bug just came and just just tore apart the team in the last like four or five days. So they now have like an entire starting lineup. On the IL, they have an entire starting rotation on the IL. They got Chapman's on the IL. Rizzo got COVID. Uh, you know, uh, Glaber just went down with the with the with the jammed hand or wrist injury. Urshela had a setback with his hamstring, and uh, Andrew Vasquez is the starting shortstop right now. Uh, I'm not sure how many Yankee fans out there know who Andrew Vasquez is. So it's, uh, you know, I certainly don't post deadline. Uh, it was looking good and it was looking like the, like the offense was ready to, you know, take another step forward. And now all these injuries kind of, you know, make you question, you know, you're kind of thankful that they're in the soft spot of their, uh, of their schedule right now. They played, uh, put the Orioles and they put Mariners. Now they're playing, Kansas city, but they haven't scored a run in uh, 16 plus innings uh, at the moment. So uh, a lineup where you're at the bottom of your lineup is Higashioka, Vasquez, Wade, uh, Gardner, or, or the Davis or whoever they're playing in center field right now. It's just not. Well, Gardner's it's, it's, batting lead off today. Yeah. He's batting lead off today, but God, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not, it's not good. It's not, it's not good at the moment. Yeah, uh, that turned real fast, huh? So I want to ask you specifically about Joey Gallo just because it's been a point of contention in one of my group chats where we have a guy who's a smart man, and I will give him that any day of the week. And from the get-go on that trade, he's been anti the Gallo pickup just because of the type of player he is. He's kind of in the range of being over that type of player, and he sent some statistics to the group chat today about what Joey Gallo has done since arriving in the Bronx. So let me read this to you here real quick. He has a 162 batting average, one home run that he wrote in parentheses, 
that went exactly 314 feet, 18 Ks in 37 plate appearances, six hit six hits, and yet he's batting fourth tonight. Is there like what is the basically what's the read here? Because obviously it's a bad start. He's clearly a better player than that, right? But is there a world where Gallo becomes a hole here in this lineup? Is there? There's no buyer's remorse, I assume, from you guys. Is this a two? Is this too negative of an outlook from a, a guy who I deem a smart who, who, who fan? Said, who said? Who said those? Who said those statistics? His name is John, and if he listens to this, he knows exactly who he is. And yeah, yeah he's actually. I'm well, telling you. Smart guy who I like, really smart person, but even a, usually a very smart fan. I find his take here to be very aggressive, but he then pointed out he's striking out 50% of his at bats, and that's not what the Yankees needed. What do you say to that? Did you did he also mention how he made those great plays in the outfield and how he threw out, um, he has like three outfield assists as a Yankee so far? So, so he's striking out, he's what he's getting on base. And he has a low batting average, so he's Joey Gallo. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's he's what Joey he does. Gallo without home runs, though. No, yeah, well, so that's he, the difference. Yeah. He's not hitting home runs for us. No, it's been like it's been okay. You know, you would like him to get off to the Anthony Rizzo type start, but I don't. Again, it's been like a week of games at the so, moment. Can, you know, can I'm I not, jump in? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Because I, I don't have buyer's remorse. You give up nothing to get him, and you get him for an extra year. I mean, so there, there's that. That being said, I didn't want Joey Gallo at the beginning of the season when people were talking about it. I don't I don't think he's the type of player we need. We have four people in a row in our lineup that are doing the exact same thing. I know he's batting lefty. That kind of pretend it doesn't. But we needed – like Rizzo is great because he's going to hit the ball, and you're going to put it into play – grounded to a shit ton of double plays. I mean, I think he has like three double plays in his entire career or something stupid like that. Um, but they need it. If you're going to like, you needed an Adam Frazier type guy to put into the, into the lineup rather than a Joey Gallo guy. I will take a Joey Gallo guy because that's better than the, uh, you know, Clint Frazier, Miguel Andujar playing in, in left field or whatever the case is. Um, but he has not been great. And I, I think, pretending that he has isn't really fair because the biggest thing that Joey Gallo has going for him is that he hits home runs. He has not hit home runs. He hit a, he hit a, a porch job and that's it. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I just, I, I would rather them have done what they did to get a, a guy who can hit for contact. So my question is, do I have the right to text suck it every time Joey Gallo hits a home run for the rest of the season? Absolutely. To 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 my friend, to my friend John, someone someone kept messaging me uh, whenever Kyle Higashioka hit a home run like earlier in the season. (laughs) Same way, you can you can absolutely do that. It happened six times, Drew. (laughs) Six times too many, Alec. (laughs) Exactly. And then look, Kyle Higashioka just grounded a double play. What a what a great catcher he is, and I'm so happy that Gary Sanchez has COVID. (laughs) <laughs> Fuck, man. so there's pain that's not cool so there's pain so there's pain all right so let's round that out back to talking about the yankees as a whole here because that was a little bit of a negative nancy conversation and that's not where we need to be right here i believe alex so i know you maybe went on the negative side of that particular case on joey gallo but as a whole i can just tell by your energy generally in our group chats and whatnot that you are excited and you have a newfound confidence here is that so Besides, you know, Sands injuries at the moment. 
a newfound confidence, but I have a newfound enjoyment for the team again. I it was painful watching this team all all season. I always say like there's a difference between being bad and boring bad, and like that the, the Yankees were boring bad all year. That's not fun to watch, and you just get frustrated. Um, but they're exciting. Like they, they're they're playing hard. The pitching has been fantastic. Um, including tonight so far. I mean, I don't know how it's going to end up, but the pitching has been great. You have players like Jameson Talion, who's been arguably a top three pitcher in baseball for the past two, two and a half months or so, which is awesome to see. Um, but I'm not going to say I'm confident because <laughs> the entire team's injured and uh, annoyed because they all, have, most of them have COVID and that's because of decisions they made and whatnot. But, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's fun to watch them and they're, eating up on the teams that they should be uh, doing that against. And that's exciting. And also as of like a couple of weeks ago, they were beating good teams. Just it's, it's, it's fun to watch games and feel like we're in it. The Red Sox are stinking it up right now. They've lost just as much as we've won. And we've gained like seven games in the division on them. And, you know, it's nice to feel like we're playing for something again. Now. Yeah. That's a, such a good point. I want to touch on because it's one of the things that we're going to get to with the Mets where they can't, seem to consistently beat good teams, average teams, or bad teams. It doesn't matter. They're just, at this point, well, you know, more recently, they're just losing everything, it seems like. But even throughout the whole season, it wasn't like they were just hammering away on bad teams. I saw a stat for the Tampa Bay Rays that they are 11-1 and against Baltimore this year. Doing that against a crap team can literally change your season. Now, that's a division rival. Rival is probably a you know, loose rival there, at least, where if you go, you know, seven and four against that team or whatever it may be, like that's completely reasonable and you're still winning more games than not and you're making progress in your standings and whatever, but you're you're going 11 and one against a bad team and that is a huge boost in the standings. Like just think about it right there. If they, what's the, the math there? Eight and four instead, if they were eight and four, that means them and the Red Sox are basically virtually tied for first place right now. That's the difference between three-game lead in first place in the division, beating up on a team like the Orioles. The Yankees are starting to do that there. The Mets can't do it to save their lives. Is this something that you now go into a series here and you can expect some sweeps out of the Yankees? Because that's been something that they just haven't been able to grab this entire season is sweeps consistently. Yeah, the the I think the record on at going into a, a sweep of the series is like five and five and thirteen or something like that, something crazy. I don't think you can expect a sweep because they haven't been they haven't been doing it, but they've been winning series, and that's really all all you can ask them to do at this point and continue to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. The, you know, regardless if you know the injuries are are you know the entire line you have an entire lineup of guys out with injuries um you know guys are certain guys are stepping up and um you know judges judges playing still playing exceptionally well and when Rizzo was in there he was he was doing great and you know Luke Voigt's back but he hasn't really done anything and I feel like he kind of got rushed back a little bit because it was just you know just out of necessity because again entire entire starting lineup of players um, which you, you could argue might be a better lineup than what the Yankees are throwing out there currently is, uh, is on the IL. So um, all, they, all they can do is continue to play who's on the schedule, you know, try to, try to eke out a, a win here. But, you know, again, we're, we're now at uh, 17 innings and counting without them scoring a run. And, you know, it's, it's, it's statistically 
impossible to win a baseball game if you don't score any runs. I'm not sure if you know that or not. I, I see no lies. I see no lies. So, Alec, is there any... We talked about newfound excitement. I had asked about newfound hope. You said you don't know if you have newfound hope per se. There was a slight glimpse of the division being in reach. And I've heard you say in the past that you're completely out on that thought. Has that thought crept up into your head enough to consider it? Or is the six and a half they're currently back with their game pending tonight uh, still too far to catch the Rays now? Yeah, you can't you can't focus on the person, the team above the team that you're behind. You know, like that's that's how I got to think of it. And if you're doing, if you're you know, wild card, you're already doing that, right? Because the A's are ahead of you for that second wild card spot. If you want to focus on uh, on the Red Sox, but if you're doing the division, you have to do that as well with the Red Sox ahead of you. So they can control their own destiny with the Red Sox, which is what scares me because nothing would point to me thinking that they can win those games, even when the Red Sox have been, you know, in, in the stretch that they're in right now. Red Sox have owned the Yankees this year. And, and if they had just won like three or four more games against the Red Sox, I think we're three and 10 or something like that, then we'd be around the same spot that the Red Sox would be in. So um, it's, it's tough, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't have like, I, I'm excited, but I'm not going to say, Hey, we have a chance of the division until we have, we're, we're in a playoff spot at the moment. That makes sense. That and makes there's sense. and there's just and there's just too many guys that are still not playing to the back of their baseball card. Like DJ LeMahieu has been like probably the most disappointing player. I won't even say in like I would call him going from like the 2019-2020 AL MVP to like the anti MVP. What I don't I don't even know what that would be, but like the anti AL MVP. Like he's been LV, LVP the LVP. Yeah. He's been, he's been atrocious. He's been absolutely atrocious. Voight has been struggling. Glaber Torres continues to not hit for power. It's just like you have three, the, these three components of the lineup who were, who were above average players, never mind the Frazier's and the, and the Hicks's and even, uh, even Gio Urshela who hasn't, hasn't been playing so great so you have all these guys that are just continuing to still struggle or be hurt or you know it's just not you know Rizzo and Gallo those are those are nice additions and they balance the lineup and they give you give the Yankees those middle of the order uh presence and it's a it's a scary you know lineup with him and Judge and Stanton and Gary in there whenever they're all in there but it's there's just too much I feel like offensively that's that's causing them to you know, not be able to look at the division and say, this is, this is obtainable. If everybody was starting to turn around and fire on all cylinders, cylinders, despite the injuries, then yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe the division, but it's just not, it's just not, they're still not doing it and they're still struggling. And, um, you know, again, you got to love what you see from the pitching and they're getting a lot of unexpected contributions from the bullpen guys. And, um, God, I, I can't even, you know, they all, they all sound like created players uh, in the bullpen. you got Steven Ridings and uh, Nick Nelson and Brody Croner, uh, Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes has been a great addition, uh, you know, the trade with the Pirates. But again, you have all these like unknown kind of guys at the moment uh, making great contributions. But uh, yeah. I'm not sure how long that's going to last. Those are all guys that you face in the minors on your road to the show. Yeah, <laughs> for sure exactly on, on, and, and okay, i was yeah. gonna say on dj the real quick this is the lowest batting average he's had since 2014 and his lowest ops 
since 2014 as well. He ha- he's bad. His OPS two- is garbage, isn't it? Like 620. It's 70 yeah. right now. It's 70 is what I'm seeing uh, as of right now. May have dropped if he's 0 for tonight, but uh, his last time he was under seven was 2014, and since then he was 745 or higher. And he even last year was ridiculous. He was over 1.0, but um, yeah, it's not characteristic of a guy like DJ LeMahieu to bat 266. And and that's the guy who everybody looked at in this lineup and said, well, we have all these strikeout guys, but at least we have a guy in DJ who's going to have a 300, 380 average on base percentage split. And he just hasn't had that this year at all. And just power has disappeared too. And that's why, that's why his OPS is in the tanky. Like it's a decent on base percentage compared to the batting average, but it just, he's not hitting for power whatsoever. And he, and it makes him, he's not lifting uh, the ball whatsoever. It's not even, yeah. It makes him a replacement level player. And that's, and that's the scary thing that, that you're one year into a six year deal with him. So it's just like, is, is, is this who we're going to have to, you know, dig around? Like you already have, you already have that Naren Hicks and a, and a player that you signed a long-term contract to that, that really hasn't done anything for you. So like, are you going to have two of those guys in the lineup for the next five years? Like it's, it's a disheartening uh, prospect to, to think about. Now, is there any worry about the Toronto Blue Jays being on the ass of the Yankees as well as obviously trying to catch the Red Sox? Because they have also won 8 out of 10, just like the Yankees have, and they're just absolutely mashing baseballs pretty much every day. They have the opportunity. We're we're playing them a good amount for the rest of the season, and they're the only team in the division where I'm like, Okay, yeah, we'll probably beat those that, that team. Even though they're a good team, I'm not taking anything away from them. I just I I, I don't have faith in, in Sox. I have more faith in against the Rays and, and the Blue Jays significantly. Um, so I'm not too worried about. Them. I was just curious because they've been mashing, man. And, and if you look at like the run differential, which you know some people will say is a great statistic of showing kind of where you are versus where you should be, or et cetera. You know, they have the highest run differential in the league or in the division, just a few above the Rays, but they're in fourth place. But because the AL East is really good, of course, but they can really, really hit the Blue Jays can. So they're, 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 they're definitely a team to look out for. And I know as far as non-Yankee fans go, like they're an easy team to kind of root for with Vlad and some of the other guys they got going. George Springer hit a monster bomb against the Red Sox the other day, which I think Yankee fans were like, yes, let's go. And then you check the standings and you're like, oh my God, you guys are really close to us. Maybe we shouldn't be rooting for that either. Let's hope you guys just beat each other up a lot. <laughs> it's kind of a tough uh, conundrum. The pitching still leaves a lot to be desired, um, especially in the rotation. Again, they went out and got Jose Barrios, which is, I, I think, again, a really good pickup. And the second best starter that was dealt outside of Max Scherzer at the deadline. But they they still need a lot more help. And, you know, Ryu is a, is a nice pitcher, but he's not a front of rotation pitcher. He's a mid-rotation kind of guy. And he's kind of regressed a little bit this year so. And again, who else is in the rotation? Steven Matt's still with, you know, he's pitched, he's pitched okay. He wasn't disaster that he was with the Mets last year, but, um, you know, it's the, the rotation still leaves a lot to be desired. So um, I don't think, you know, them and the Red Sox are kind of even, even footing on the, on the rotation front. Um, so it, it, if, you know, if the Yankees offense gets healthy, uh, I think that's, that could be something that can, uh, be the difference maker between those three teams in the division race. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be one of the most interesting divisions to keep an eye on um, moving out, moving throughout the rest of the season. Any last words in the Yankees before we switch to the Mets? 
No? Okay. Well, well, unfortunately, one of the other most interesting divisions in baseball is the NL West. And you may be saying, Pete, why are you bringing up the NL West? You just said how you're going to talk about the Mets. Well, guess what? The Mets play 13 games in a row from August 13th to August 26th against the Dodgers and Giants. So, if there was any inch of hope left in this Mets run or walk to the finish line here, crawl to the finish line here that they're on right now, you have to go through two of the best teams in baseball in mid-August when they need every single win every single night for 13 games in a row. That's absolutely brutal. They only have three games left against the Phillies and Braves each. So six games against the two teams they're competing against most in division and 13 games against the NLS juggernaut. So not a great schedule outlook for the New York Mets. Just like you said with the injuries for the Yankees, not great injury looks for the Mets right now. Lindor still not back. Javi Baez has been banged up, and he hasn't played particularly well either since joining New York. So it's really glim. I know we talked about the Pete Alonso comment where you know he got on his uh, his high horse or no he got on his his he got on a stool soapbox. His, his soapbox. soapbox. There we go. I, I could always count on Alec to finish my bad phrases. Um, he got on his soapbox and was like, "Listen, you got to believe. You got to know that we're gonna fight and we're gonna do this and that and every single night we're gonna take it one game at a time and we're gonna do this thing." It's like, yeah, but um, we haven't hit. For months, like, we haven't hit really. We had, like, two or three good weeks of offense this entire season, and it's been ugly, and the pitching has been bad. In fact, not all the pitching has been bad. Marcus Stroman, this is a crazy stat I saw as well. He has a 3-6 ERA in his past 10 starts. Do you know how many wins he has in those past 10 starts? Zero? One. He's one in seven in his past 10 starts with a 3-6. Better than I expected. You know, it, it might be better than what you're expected, yeah. but 1-7 and seven over 10 starts with an average to decent ERA is not the the formula you want to win baseball games here. Uh, in fact, I saw a, a tweet by Anthony Tacoma. I wish I had it up right now. Uh, a couple, a couple uh, days ago, the Mets starting pitchers haven't recorded a win in like a month and a half. It was like ridiculous since the last time a Mets starting pitcher has gotten a win. It's absolutely ugly right now. Andrew and I tried our best to find the silver lining in what's going on in the in Queens right now. And it's just getting harder and harder in each day, especially as we don't even know if Jacob DeGrom will return come September. So is there any hope? If not, stick someone stick the fork in them. I don't know what to do right now. I'm putting my hands up with this team. Um, Taiwan Walker actually pitched a pretty good game on Sunday, yesterday. I watched the whole thing. He gave up three solo home runs, and it's like, all right, he gave up two home runs in the first inning. You're feeling real bad about yourself. He, he buckles down. He only gives up one more home run for the rest of the game, and the Mets had two hits for the entire game by none other than Zach Wheeler on the Philadelphia Phillies. So can someone just stick the fork in them? I'm getting really upset over here. Yeah, and if you want to talk about uh, disappointing players and DJ Lanier, Mike Conforto, oh my goodness gracious, just uh, oh, it's, I, he's going to go get a contract somewhere and make a, and do really well. He's that, that exact kind of player. He's going to go off and be a good player on another team, and everyone he's going to be next Daniel Murphy or something. 
Oh, at least Daniel Murphy had a run with us. Sheesh. I mean, I guess Conforto has had a run with us in the past, but yeah. oh my God, it's brutal. There's there's no hitter in the Mets lineup right now that when they step up to the plate, other than Brandon Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo right now is the only guy who when he steps in the box, you say he's going to put together a good at bat. He's going to make solid contact or get on base. It's just what he's been doing day in, day out, every single at bat. And nobody else, not Baez, obviously, five strikeouts the other day. Lindor hasn't played. Pete Alonso was just on an 0 for 20 run. I don't know if he's got, I still think he's 0 for right now. Um, Dom Smith, not really coming around consistently. J.D. Davis, nothing. Jeff McNeil's average probably right now. It, it is just so freaking glim in Queens right now. I don't, I honestly don't even know what else to say. I've been trying to be silver lining guy for the Mets uh, for the past couple weeks in the past month or so where it's like, all right, guys, like, calm down. We still got a lead. The lead's gone. It's gone. The Phillies are hot. There's no hope for this team right now. And I don't even know where it could possibly come from unless Lindor comes back and starts going bonkers. I just don't see any reason to have faith in this team doing anything special. Yeah, it's, it again, you would talk about, I, I mentioned the Yankees having struggles all down the line. Like, Dom Smith is really disappointing uh follow up to that uh, great 2020 that he had you know only a 385 slugging percentage only 11 home runs um and that's that's third on the team right now and or actually Valaris 12 so he's fourth he's fourth on the team with 11 home runs and the him Valar Pete Alonso and before Javi Baez came up those were the only Mets that had double digit home runs for for the entire lineup and you know you expect more out of McNeil you expect more out of Conforto and you know I know JD Davis has been hurt and when he has played he you know the, the on base and the average are are pretty good but he hasn't been healthy enough to to stay on the field and you know I wasn't expecting a lot from James McCann um you know to going into the season so you know the guys who you really depended on to kind of be those boppers in the lineup just haven't haven't been there and that's kind of been the downfall of the offense for the Mets yeah and to talk about Villar real quick it reminds me of earlier in the season when we were saying that this Yankees team is, you know, the bad type of average or the bad type of good where they're boring and there's no juice. But this Mets team, they're injured and they're playing hard and they have juice. And guys like Pilar and Villar and Guillaume and, uh, and all these guys are there, they're rolling out there are really, really good backup players who can spell starting roles for a, for a little bit, for a good portion of time. And now it's like, oh my God, Jonathan, Jonathan Pilar is he's our best, like one of our most consistent players and he's not doing that well. Like there's a point and we, we kind of called this a couple months back. There's a point where those backups come crashing down to earth. They're not meant to play 162. They're not meant to carry an offense for an entire season. And now all of a sudden it's like, wow, Valar has to play every day or else we have nobody. So when you come to that point, it's like, wow, this hope of getting healthy and the offense getting right at some point in the season, just based off of the law of averages, which the game, the game of baseball is based on so heavily, it just doesn't exist for the Mets. There's no there's no average, there's no re- regression to the mean in a positive manner for the Mets here. It's just been worse, worse, worse on the offensive side of the baseball. Yeah, when Brendan Drury was like your hottest hitter for a while, that's a that's a it's a bad look. It's an absolute bad look for you as a as an offensive team. Um so, it, God, it, you know, you have to hope 
uh, you know, again, you're at your post-trade deadline. The Mets made the moves that they made. And again, we talked about uh, why, you know, Javi Baez, and I, I, I would still defend the Javi Baez trade over um, the Chris Bryant move. Um, but man, it's, it's, not, it's not looking good. You don't even know what else to say. I, like, I, you just, there's not even much else to say. It's that point of the season with the Mets, unless they completely shock us and turn this thing around on its head. And there's not even a reason to expect that. There's only going to be, gonna the be thing, pain though, or like, shock. That's it. The, the division is such dog shit. I mean, they, they've been, they've never been a good team all season. They were middling team at like, who was slightly above average at some points in the season. They've never been a good, they've never been, it was like, oh yeah, this is a hundred percent a world series contender. So, they're not that far out of the division. Like, what are they, a game and a half out now? Two games? They're two and a half like out that. right now, yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of time for them to do that. And, you know, I, I'm not saying they're going to go in 13 games uh, on the West Coast or whatever it is, but I don't have a lot of confidence that the Phillies are going to win th- their next 13 games. You know what I mean? I don't have a lot of confidence that the Braves or the Nationals are going to win. Obviously not the Nas- Nationals anymore, but, you know, that those are not – good teams and the Phillies just benefited on the fact that they had an ability to face the Mets directly and they were killing the Mets. I mean, right. Before the Mets that series, they were in first place. I mean, how, how many, how many horrible stretches have the Mets had this year while still being in first place? They've had a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And you've been on this the entire time, but the, the only thing I would say as a pushback is when they were playing slightly above average baseball with all the injuries, there was reason to believe in their fight. There was reason to believe there was juice in that clubhouse where they cared and they were going to come out every single day and it may be a scrappy 4-3 win and, and whatnot. And now there's just no faith in that at all. Now, granted, they can turn around and play the Nationals, which is their next series coming up Tuesday through Thursday, and look great. And they can win three in a row. And maybe we can say, holy crap, maybe the Mets are going to turn something around. But then they come around uh, for the weekend series and score three runs in three games. Like, that's exactly how I can see this season going for the Mets the rest of the way out. They tend to do this thing every year where around this time of August, they they start to play better baseball, and they give you this little piece of hope where they go, hey, we're fighting, man. We got a chance. Don't let us get hot. Don't let the Mets get hot because we're good. And then they fall apart again, and it's over. And it's baked into the Mets fan existence to feel this way. And I so I hardly try to push back on that throughout the season. And then you get to this point again and they can't score a run. And now they could hardly pitch. And, and you sit here and you throw your hands up and say, I don't know what to say about this team. I thought we had fight at minimum. I thought at minimum we were going to grind at minimum. We were going to put together good at bats. Even if the hits weren't dropping. Now it's just Alonzo looks lost. Baez looked lost. It's just ugly at bat after so at I, bat. I I don't watch a ton of Mets games, admittedly, but I mean, is Rojas under any like fire right now? I mean, it, it's, it, it seems like he's got a similar situation that Boone has, where people are getting worse under him. It was it was just stated, I think, actually today, where he's not his job's not in jeopardy right now. It was just stated, but even him, he's been an ebb and flow guy. There's been weeks of the season where it's like, wow, Rojas, you know, pulling some good strings, good energy, people are playing hard, and then it's like, wait, what is he doing? Who did he just bring in? What's the lineup look like today? Uh, so it's a mixed bag. Half the Met fans are definitely pissed about it. Half the Met fans are saying, we can't blame him. This team's been abysmal now. You can't blame it all on the manager. In the same 
ilk that people do with the Yankees and Boone. It's like, all right, you want to blame Boone that uh, Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge, and Garrett Cole all got COVID positive? You can't. Then again, you know, like there's a lack of juice for half the season for the Yankees. That maybe could get on, on Boone's shoulders there. So people are upset with Rojas, but the Mets just made it clear on Monday his job's not in jeopardy at this point in time. Who knows what that means come the offseason. And I, th- yeah. and I mean, the vote, the vote of confidence doesn't always mean that they're keeping their job. No. Yeah. And I think the, you know, I, we didn't really, you know, we mentioned him a couple of times, but the, you know, you're missing DeGrom, who's the, the best pitcher in the National League. And he was the stopper. And he was, you know, say what you want about the Mets not scoring runs for him. But at least when you, uh, well, base hit by Luke Voigt there. Good job. Um at least when he was going out there, you, you were confident to say like, okay, all we need to do is score a run or two and, you know, DeGrom will take care of the rest, but, and, and, and not having that stopper there to stop those losing streaks or someone who can say, this is, you know, you have confidence in going into like a big game or a big matchup, you know, who do you, who do you feel like that uh, in the Mets rotation currently? Like you don't. So it's just, it's just tough all around. Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, I think I'm not going to say that the Mets, uh, season, uh, depends on whether DeGrom comes back or not, but you know, I, I think it really, you know, it's a, obviously it's a big part. He's a, he's a huge part of the team and he's not there when they kind of need him the most. But it's not like they were winning the games that DeGrom was pitching anyway. You know, that's always my argument. I just like playing devil's advocate on that one because, Yes, he's the best pitcher in baseball, or at the very least, the best pitcher in the National League. And um, they, he has very famously documented issues of not winning the games that he pitches. So, uh, I mean, he was seven and two this when, year, by the way. Fair, but, yeah. You know, I, in in I fifteen starts with a one zero ERA. <laughs> so yeah, you're still right. <laughs> sure, I'm not. I'm not saying he wasn't incredible, uh, but I, I, I always. I, I hate to like give a pitcher that much credit, like one pitcher uh, when they only pitch five once every five days or something like that and say that they can fix the season because, you know, if you win one game, you lose the other four at this point in the season, you're going to have a pretty hard time climbing up the standing. So I'm not disagreeing. I'm just kind of playing out devil's advocate on that one. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're definitely right because seven and two is a huge upgrade for him as far as actually getting wins on the board, but he did still start, 15 games with a 1-0 ERA and only won seven. So you're you're also right. Exactly. The, the run yeah. support, I was trying to look up. I don't know where to find that. Um, like where to find run support statistics for pitchers, but based off of just... Run support for pitchers.com. Oh, th- thank you. I'll, I'll look, that, look into that. Uh, <laughs> based off of just like the eye test and, me- and the yeah, memory yeah, test, he was, getting, <laughs> he was getting more run support this year than in the past. So... You know, that's just off my memory, really. So I, I don't know. I don't know what that that's means. also when the team was hitting, and the team is certainly not hitting right now. <laughs> they are certainly not. They are certainly not. You want to see your crazy, crazy statistic? 3.6 runs per game, which uh, puts him in the bottom echelon of, of a pitcher's lower third. Can you check what he had in the past year or two as well? Sorry to put that's, you on the spot here. Where'd you find that? Okay. Pitchersrunsupport.com? Uh, Drew's actually yeah. a robot. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Why you looked it up? A crazy statistic. Ugh, I can't even talk right now. A crazy statistic for Jacob Degrom this year: thirteen pitches per inning. 
for him this season when he was wow. healthy, which is just silly. Crazy. It's silly. It's Crazy. silly. In the past, he was like 16, 16, 14, 15, but 13 pitches per inning is absolutely silly. Oh my God. God damn it. I miss him so much. That just sucks. This guy Velasquez looks like a young Joe Girardi. Well, 2019 DeGrom 4.16 runs uh, in 2020, uh, even though, uh, you know, the, that kind of stigma was around him. He had uh, 5.92 runs uh, of run support per start. But again, that was only in 12 starts. Uh, 12 starts. Yeah, so that could have so, been one or know. two big ones. You never know. But yeah, so yeah, it's actually out per nine. Is it like a per nine thing or is it just a duration start uh, per nine? Like, got it. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. Well, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Do you have any last words on the Mets here? Because listen, there's not much else to say. There's only fingers to cross when it comes to this Mets team sometimes that something believe, switches. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, there you go. They, they, they have the guys that they have and, you know, you gotta just, you know, in the same way that the Yankees need certain, certain players to at least pick it up. Not, not, they don't have to play at an all-star level, but they need to at least be average major league hitters and Dom Smith and uh, Conforto and McNeil. They just need to play as average everyday baseball players. And that would be such an improvement for the Mets offense. And they just need average at the moment. They just, you know, Let's strive for average and then see if we can strive for average and then and then go from there. (laughs) Oh God! You are you guys ready for the offensive explosion of 2022 because of the down year in 2021? Yeah. And what uh, what Manfred's going to do to change baseball? Still won't be in the Queens, man. In the in the Queens. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Like when these people say the MLB, that drives me. That drives me absolutely insane. When people say, "Yeah, they're in the MLB," like just 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 fucking MLB. Just stop saying the. I say that, but but the Queens makes, makes me think of coming to America. <laughs> oh God! The Mets just need <sighs> to go out and hit some dingers, and 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 go from there. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Oh. I agree. Too soon. Too soon. But I agree. All right. Uh, that's all we got for today. Any last words on anything else outside of the Mets and Yankees world? Alec, do you want to give me a a Giants excitement take, or you want to give me something for football? Because I'm a sneak peek into behind the curtain right now, doing an episode for next week on quarterbacks in the NFL. Where so you don't have to give me a quarterback take, but the the NFL part of our brains are starting to warm up, starting to get excited. Oh, yeah, so give me something on football that you're excited about. I'm excited for the New York Football Giants, my man. Um, I think they're going to be a playoff team this year. I think DJ is going to take the leap necessary. He was good when he was healthy last year. When he wasn't healthy, not so much. They got red zone targets to help their abysmal red zone percentage uh, in Kenny Galladay and Kyle Rudolph. Uh, only one more year left of Evan Ingram, and then we're done with him. And uh, uh, Saquon's back, baby. So we don't have the uh, as, as fun as it was. We don't have the Wayne Gallman era anymore. And then you also got a Dory Jackson uh, to add to an awesome already secondary. Team's going to be good this year. I'm not saying they're winning 14 games. Not going to be close to that. But I think they're I think they're a nine to eleven win team this year, and that's mm. a big step up from the last couple of years. And we know that uh, Old. NFC East that could be enough to get it done, even with the new seventeen game schedule. You know, ten or eleven might be it in the NFC East. Oh, that's that's right. I forgot the seventeen game schedule now. Um, yeah, I, I stand by my. Well, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ten to ten to twelve then. 
Wow, 10 to 12. That's big. I thought 9 to 11 was perfect. But anyways, that's good. I, I, I'm glad you're excited. I, too, am excited. I think they're going to be very competitive. I, I just want to see Daniel Jones grab a game by the balls and win it for his team. How many times what? have we seen Daniel Jones win a game for the New York Giants late down the stretch? It hasn't happened much. It may be scheme. Yeah. It may be weapons. It may be offensive line. It may be a mixture of all of it. But until I see that man go into a fourth quarter, look poised, look confident, and just win a damn football game, I'm not going to believe that we'll see it very often. You you had Daniel Jones take control of fourth quarters, but unfortunately Evan Ingram was the, uh, was the person that destroyed those fourth quarter hopes with plenty of drop passes uh, that would have solidified the game. I will say one more thing. I know that you didn't ask, but we talked about it in our group chat before. Um, this is obviously a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, even his biggest supporters would tell you that. But the Giants set, them up, set, set themselves up so well with that draft night trade with the Bears. If they need to move on for a quarterback, they have all the other pieces in place, and they can make a trade uh, or, uh, or draft somebody uh, in the offseason. Who knows, Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the, on the free agent market, apparently. Who knows what's going on there. Whoa. And uh, we're going to be set for next give me year hope. too. So. Whoa! Don't give me hope. Whoa. Give me the Hawkeye, the Hawkeye line. Don't Whoa. give me hope, man. <laughs> Drew, <laughs> Drew, you got any last words? Could be football. Could be anything. Ah, and just I'm I'm looking forward to the stretch run here. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, just sports in general. Just coming coming all together. You got NFL. You got the NBA. You got even even hockey's coming back soon. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to. Uh, Hopefully the Yankees can uh, get it together and and we get that one game playoff and have Garrett Cole get out there and just guys get healthy and uh, I'm I'm just ready to go. There you go. And I think we de- we all need that break. It's a much needed break for hockey and football, uh, basketball, like where the turnaround after that bubble playoff season was so fast, like you blinked and it was the middle of the basketball season and it was kind of a drag to get to the end there. Now we're a little excited because it's like the new season. We got rookies to talk about. Summer League will end in a week or two. We'll get to just kind of cool off basketball for a bit, come back hot in the end of October. But football, man, Hard Knocks starts this week. Are you guys Hard Knocks guys? You think I'm watching anything with the Dallas Cowboys? You don't know me. Come on. It's going to be electric. I used to be a Hard Knocks guy, but it's it's been years been years well alec if you want to really go season was the last good one you if you really want to enjoy a hard knocks though you can watch mike mccarthy be an absolute just weenie hut junior head coach just (laughs) just terrible head coach like dak prescott's getting a lot of hype i was just listening to a ringer podcast they were ranking quarterbacks and dak prescott was getting like top five to top eight ranks for quarterbacks this 21 2021 season which is you know whatever i know you don't agree with that alec but it is what it is so Dak Prescott couldn't be a top eight quarterback this year, and I just don't think it'll matter because I think Mike McCarthy just sucks so bad. <laughs> I mean, he's a per- he's a purple dinosaur. He is he is awful. Oh, <laughs> Mama Mia! <laughs> all right, oh, here we go. That's all we got for today. Subway Sports. I don't even know what that means. Subway Sports Talk. Andrew Kalanya, Alec Argento. Thank you all for listening so much. As always, on Apple Podcast, Spotify. We'll be back next week. With some football talk, baby. Football talk, and we'll get baseball on the flip side the following week, the week of the 23rd, because um, then football really ramps up, and we'll, we'll combo the end of baseball with some football ramp-up stuff, and it's going to be a lot of fun right here on Subway Sports Talk. Cheers. See you.